Hello everyone, this is Terry Mitchell with the Voice on Fire interview series and I've got the long-awaited interview, the one that I've been holding back, waiting for to happen. Uh, Evelyn Chioma-Joseph in Nigeria, hello, how are you? Good morning. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. It's a pleasure seeing you today. It is an absolute pleasure. It has been such a long time we've been trying to organise for this particular interview to take place. And the reason I mention that is the people that I interview, they're, they're difference makers, change agents. They're people that are making massive impact within their communities and making uh, changes for the greater good. And Evelyn is somebody that I've noticed on LinkedIn amongst other locations where I've seen some of the projects that you're actively participating in. And we tried to connect last year, but I know that there were a few technical issues that we had to go through. Um, and you're such a busy lady. Let's start our conversation today, sharing with our listeners what it is you do. And we'll start there. Uh, let's get into that conversation. Okay, thank you, Terry for having me on your wonderful platform. I appreciate you and uh, thanks for reaching out all the way from Pleasure. your place. Yeah. Okay, my name is Joseph Evelyn Choma from Enugu State, Nigeria. I work with an organization, non-governmental organization called Society for the Improvement of Rural People, SEP Nigeria. It's located mm -hmm. in Enugu State here. I'm the project program manager. I manage, um, programs that centers around women, girls, and young people, which in the past 10 years have implemented projects that centers around women, young people, and uh, young girls, who, which um, elaborately can talk about uh, um, projects that talk about ending gender-based violence, mm -hmm. like child marriage, which um, we have a higher statistics here in Nigeria, Gender, female genital mutilation and uh, other um, harmful traditional practices is part of the projects I implement. Mm -hmm. And also um, on an uh, area of sexual and reproductive health rights, I, I educate girls on menstrual hygiene management and also part of what we've discovered over the years uh, in our rural project implementation. I'm a rural woman, most times most of my projects is in the rural community. Do I have a lot of them? I also implement uh, in the urban areas, but majorly I, 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 I work with the rural people because that is where we found a lot of gaps, mm -hmm. you know? And um, being a person that I work uh, in achieving SDG three, four, five, and six, uh, it's part of um, where I think those gaps we need to identify, where we have identified and filling those gaps. So. Um, we also educate these girls on how to make um, uh, reusable sanitary pads mm -hmm. because we've discovered that providing them with um, uh, um, uh, these um, disposable sanitary pads is not uh, uh, sustainable. Mm -hmm. So for us to make uh, a very affordable, uh, economic and um, eco-friendly uh, uh, sanitary products, so we also train them on how to make that. And also we engage men and boys to end gender-based violence because over, over the years we've been working, educating, engaging different stakeholders to see how we end gender-based violence. But we've seen that bringing men and boys on the table will help us achieve this aim faster. And it is also part of what I do. And um, for the past 
four, five years now, I've also worked with a United Nations Office on Drug and Crime as their project officer in Enugu State on drug, um, drug and substance abuse prevention, treatment and care for young people, which is a um, community-based um, uh, drug treatment center where we have treatment facilities, which is free of charge, which is funded by European Union and the United Nations Office on Drug and Crime. We, we have interventions with these young people to um, help them with their uh, drug addiction problems and also to prevent those who might also, you know, get addicted to those drugs to delay them, you know, or initiating those drug issues. Mm -hmm. I think um, briefly, this is part of some of the work I, I do here in any good state. Yeah, uh, honestly, I, I'm exhausted just listening to that list because you really are quite busy. I, I know that you've been quite an active advocate for the um, gender-based violence programs that you do and also the sanitary uh, hygiene programs, certainly for young girls. And, and I take it that that's also to help, I suppose, reduce some of the stigma or some of that um, shame that is associated with having a monthly cycle that really it's a purely natural part of a woman's um, biological development but without the appropriate uh, resources, such as the sanitary napkins, it can be a very difficult time for young girls. I believe that it, it can affect them to the, to the point where they aren't able to go to school for that period that they're having unless they've got the sanitary products to support them. Is that, is that something that you're uh, involved in educating about? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that um, previously when we identified this as a major problem for young girls staying in school, mm. uh, you know, and we've also discovered that most of these girls are sent from school because of uh, their monthly flow. And uh, also because they don't have appropriate uh, um, materials to, you know, absorb their menstrual uh, load. Mm. And this also results in most of these girls staying at home and, and uh, also, before you know it, their parents are talking about marriage. And these are girls who are 13, 14, 15 years, okay? And also, that has also increased the number of girls being mutilated. Because when you stay at home, the next is, okay, you are, a, you are a woman now. Since you've started seeing your period, you're a woman. The next thing is that, you know, we need to bring you into the womanhood, which is mutilating that young girl to prepare her for marriage. And uh, we, we've saw this as a major problem. And we know that the economic uh, you know, gap in this community is very much high. These are parents who have seven, eight children. Mm -hmm. And major, um, most of the, them might be five girls, six girls. Mm -hmm. And there is no how they can you know, help them in providing for their uh, monthly requirements mm -hmm. to, you know, to help them during their menstruation. And this has resulted them using, you know, all sort of unhygienic materials like dirty foams, even to the extent of stuffing their old used piece of papers in their stockings to, mm. to be able to you know, absorb their monthly flow. So when we started this uh, school drive where we distribute sanitary pads and also educate them on how to manage their menstrual product, their, their menstrual cycles, uh, we, we, we saw that this is not what we are, is going to be sustained mm. because we might provide three uh, menstrual uh, pads which might contain eight pieces for one pack. So, and this might just last this girl for two months. After two months, then what next? And that is how we sat down and look at, okay, what then do we do to help these girls? Okay, 
and uh, we came with this idea of providing them with, um, you know, hands-on training. We need to train them on how to make this reusable pad mm -hmm. because when we train these 15 girls by school, we, 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 we empower them to also train other girls in the same school. So, and it keeps going. So uh, this will help them to be able to, and these are materials, okay, that is affordable. It's available in their community. It's not what uh, they need to travel a long distance to purchase. So we have needles, we have trays, we have scissors, and we provide them with the materials, which we are going to train them on how to make this reusable. And these are parts they can use up to six, seven months before they can be able to make other ones. So this program has really helped in increasing the rates of school retention for young girls mm -hmm. and the number of girls enrolling in school because their monthly periods is part of what keeps them out of school mm. because five, four days, they are not in school because of their period. Because once you're in school, you can be able to you know, handle the stigma that comes with the blood stain in your uniform. Yeah. So, and um, I think this program have really done a lot because even today, this morning, after this program, I have another one. I'm going to another you know, rural community to train girls on how to make this product. Wow. Okay, so yeah. That's, that's amazing. And, and are you noticing in terms of the, um, not so much just the retention rate of girls staying in school, but are you noticing that there's an uplift in just the overall community spirit? Is it lifting the girls to feel that they can then become, I suppose, a greater contributor within their community because they're becoming educated, they can then do more to help their families as their education uh, develops is that something that you've kind of observed what what are some of the things that you've noticed because of the program yes um i told you we don't just train them we we, we also provide education we found out that most of these young girls they have a lot of myths you know about menstruation mm -hmm. they saw it as something dirty yeah. something that um you know there are a lot of things you don't do when you are menstruating, you don't do this, you don't do a lot of restrictions. And um, we provide them with uh, correct information. This, and also train them on their female anatomy. These are things that you experience as a woman. It's not something, it's not a bad thing, it's natural, mm -hmm. okay? And by training them or uh, giving them this information, this prepares them to empower them as well as young girls. And most of them go home, train, you know, inform their parents, train their young ones, and this, their mothers were like, ah, how did you find out about this? They say, okay, so some people came to our school and trained us on this. And this has helped these girls, most of them, I can tell you, most of the schools, they complete their senior secondary uh, 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 examination, wow. which wow. previously most of them drop out because when your parents cannot provide things that, you know, that is required monthly for you, you find out that these girls even get so tired. What's the need of me going to school? Why don't I just get married and uh, let my husband start providing these things for me? But when you have given them this empowerment, mm -hmm. okay, you can have this on your own. There is no you know, need for you not to be in school. So it has empowered them and it has also helped in most families economically to grow because these girls go to school, they are empowered and there are a lot of ample opportunity for them to explore as young uh, you know, young girls, which also help them to become, you know, with, you know, achieve their potentials in life. Mm. So, the, yeah, that training has really helped them in, um, you know, becoming who they who want to be. Because I, I, I usually tell them, 
if Ngozi Okonjiwala, who, who, she, who we are very proud of now, if she was restricted, if she has all these barriers, she wouldn't be where she is now, mm -hmm. okay? So, but these are things that we need to put in place. And we are also um, doing another uh, advocacy to the government to see how the price of this uh, reusable, um, sorry, the price of um, disposable sanitary products can also be reduced for those who want to mm -hmm. use that as an option. Okay, because when you look at the prices, you find out that a lot of things, this drives girls to do things that abnormally, you know, normally they wouldn't do, mm -hmm. okay? We have a lot of issues of these girls reporting to us that they are sexually abused because their boyfriends need to provide them with money to buy sanitary pads. Some of them are being abused by their uncles because they are going to provide them money to buy this pad. And also some of them are victims of teenage pregnancy because of what? They have to engage in this sex so that they can be able to have money to buy what is necessary for them monthly. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important that girls feel acknowledged and recognized for the important contributions that they can make, not only as mothers and you know, as members of families, that's also important, but if they do aspire to perhaps become educated to maybe become a scientist or someone in politics or perhaps they want to become you know uh, someone involved in healthcare or other services if they can see that that option is there and that by addressing something that would normally seem as simple we would think as a monthly cycle but addressing the complications that are a part of that that is, we're supplying, you know, proper sanitary care, which I know myself as a young girl, I came from a family that didn't talk about those things. But I lived mm. in a country where the products were available, but it was very embarrassing to, to ask for them because I was so young and, you know, you just didn't talk about that. And so it was a sense of shame and embarrassment. And yes, the blood stains on the uniform when you're in high school, a lot of girls go through those same very awkward moments. But here we take it, I suppose, a little for granted in Australia because we have the, the materials available to us to be able to take care of our monthly cycle. But young girls in, in Nigeria, for example, who don't have access to the materials are then staying home and losing that sense of con uh, continuity with school the whole situation changes when they can see that they no longer have to be held back. So I can imagine it must be just a very positive ripple effect that takes place managing that situation. And, you know, it does make sense to approach the governments to see if there's a more affordable way to make all these sanitary options available to the girls. It's, it's a really empowering project. I totally understand the importance of that. And you're doing such a great job. But there's so many other things that you are doing and you mentioned about the gender-based violence and, and speaking with young men and boys about that program and how did you become involved in that? Okay, um, Nigeria is a patriarchal, we approach a patriarchal system where women, I know, should just be seen and not heard. Mm. And uh, this has, you know, become a lot of, uh, you know, have a lot of barrier in women, you know, speaking up, having a voice to be able to speak. And there's a lot of issue of gender-based violence, more especially uh, in the area that I'm much more concerned is the area of 
primogenital mutilation, which mm -hmm. we know it's a human rights violation, okay? It's a total or a partial removal of the female genitalia, mm -hmm. you know, for no medical reason. And uh, we find out that the various types of female genital mutilation that is being, uh, you know, you know, being performed in Nigeria here, but basically in the East here, I, I work in this area of ending this female genital mutilation and the child marriage by you know, engaging different, I've talked about engaging men and boys in ending this uh, gender-based violence because the, the, these are the opinion, you know, uh, opinion um, leaders in the communities. They are the one who makes the laws, they are the one who uphold norms and cultures of, this, of, the, of the land. Mm -hmm. And without involving them, how then do we want to? The women yeah. might just come for a meeting, talk, talk, talk. These are what are the things we need to do. And when you get home, your husband says, no, this is not going to happen. This is my culture. This is our culture. This, is, this was you know, given down to me by my forefathers. There's no mm -hmm. how I'm going to change this. So we devise a way to engage with these people to find out what are the best approach to you know, speak with these people, be able to change their mind without them feeling they are trying to trample on their culture. And that is where we you know, use the do no harm principle, where we engage them what do you really think these are the benefits of this? And they will begin to tell you, we perform female genital mutilation so that the girls will be pure, so that they won't be promiscuous in their marriage. They'll be faithful to their husband. They will be clean. They will be all this and all that. And we now say, okay, have you thought about the harmful effect of all this on the young girls? And we also bring the voice of those, the survivors of this, um, oh, wow. of this harmful practice. Yes, and the survivors will tell them, these are what have gone through. Mm. I've lost my first daughter. I lost my second daughter due to bleeding, due to infection when she was mutilated. And, you know, this brings a clearer picture to them. Oh, so this really have all these kind of negative consequences. Mm. Then why then do we perform it? We've seen that the negative consequences of our rules, the, the, what we think is the positive gain we are gaining from all this. Mm. So I, I looked at the number of people who have been mutilated, over 200, 200 million girls have been mutilated and we still have a lot numbers counting. Oh. What then do we need to do to ensure that this really stops? Yeah. We need to start from where we are. Yeah. So, and that is why I, I engage with uh, my organization to ensure that we engage different stakeholders in the community, starting from the religious leaders, the traditional rulers, the women leaders. We bring them together, we reason together, we, you know, draft out what works best in that community and begin to you know, drive out with them. Mm -hmm. And this has really um, you know, given us a lot of uh, achievement because we've, we've come to the point where different traditional rulers and stakeholders in the community have you know, made an open declaration, no, we need to stop this. Mm -hmm. Anyone who performs social acts, we have violence against person prohibition as in Nigeria, which was mm -hmm you know, put into place by our former president, good luck, Jonathan, in 2015, you know. But the problem we are having is that most states are not domesticating this act. But for my state, and um, thanks to our effort and other efforts of some other vibrant organizations who work in ending gender-based violence, we pushed to ensure that that act was also domesticated in many good states, and we are running off with it. So in this act, we have um, uh, these harmful traditional practices and what are the uh, you know, implications for people who indulge themselves in, yeah. even if you are the advisors, you are the people who perform it, you are the one who encourages 
people to perform this on innocent young girls and women. You know, there are laws, you know, against that. So they have come to make this open declaration that these are things we need to stop in our community. And it has really helped. So, and also we have um, a project that we have been funded by Sunkage Justice, which is an organization based in South Africa, where I am the national coordinator for Men Engage Nigeria mm -hmm. Network. What we do there is to engage men and boys to end gender-based violence. We bring them on the table. We, the women, we engage with men to speak to all their fellow men. These are things we've discovered and these are things that are very, very harmful. It violates the rights of these people and it must be stopped. And we are recording a lot of achievements mm. in that. Yeah, absolutely. I really respect what you say in regards to the do no harm approach where you acknowledge that you, you are in a country that with all of the different um, 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 regions, there are different cultures that, that practices that have been around for a very long time. And, and I, I do appreciate just from just my own theory knowledge, certainly I don't know it from practice, but just reading about it and learning about it, the importance of something like that to people, it is hard to let go. And if they've never had reason to ask themselves, should we be doing this? No one's ever questioned it. Then that question never comes up. And so it becomes entrenched in that cultural practice. So I can understand where you're saying, let's, let's talk, let's have an open conversation. And it must be not only difficult for the young girls who have endured the difficulties of the, the genital mutilation, but the, the complications that it brings to their lives, how brave they are to be able to speak about that to the other people that you bring into the room. And, and also, I think also how courageous it is for the men and the boys to be open to, to listening, to, just to hearing something different and perhaps being open to saying, you know, you could be right, we maybe do need to stop doing this. It's great that you've got, you've just been such an active part of that conversation. So I just want to applaud you for that because it, the numbers you're talking about are staggering. It's an in, incredibly high number of young girls that have been impacted who are obviously some of them are now women and as you say some have lost babies and and the trauma emotionally and also mm -hmm. socially that they've endured must just be horrendous so you know it, it's so important that people like yourself take that active role and speak up and bring people together and start those conversations so that both sides of the party can actually hear just really what is involved and how can we going forward make a positive difference that's you act so actively involved and normally my questions are what is it that you do and who do you do it for but I can see you do so many things that impact across so many areas of your community um, the the impulse I guess the question that comes to my mind um, is what's really inspired you to do this what's the driving force behind you to, to take these actions? How did you become involved and what makes you participate every day? Okay. As a young girl growing up in my rural community, I discovered that women don't speak out. They just take whatever the male folk, they shout to them. And I started growing up without liking that kind of, you know, lifestyle and, um, being someone who grew up in a family where 
luckily I have a father who is very understanding and um, who really wants me as a girl to go to school. Mm-hmm. Because I, also in my community, girls are not allowed to go to school. Girls are, you know, seen as people who you need to stay at home, learn how to take care of your husband and your children when you get married. All that is in for the girl is just prepare you for marriage. That mm-hmm. is all that is in for you. So you don't know what you need education for. But I grew up uh, in... In my local community, and um, desire. When my father saw this in me, he was like, "I don't have all the of my friends. Let me just." He just did it out of love, not just because he wanted to do it. He just do it and did it out of love. So, when I went to school, I came back, and uh, you know, when I saw a lot of things happening in the community, saw the number of young people going into drugs seen uh, women who are being battered every day by their husbands and nothing is being done. Nothing, you just have, you don't even need to speak about it. You need to endure whatever you, you, you know, encounter in your marriage, in any relationship, all you need to is endure. It was boiling my heart. It's not something I feel so comfortable about. And um, when I, after my, my university and um, I served my fatherland for one year, which is basically what has been done in Nigeria, the National Youth uh, Service Corps. I served my fatherland. I volunteered in an organization, you know, that works in these areas of gen- ending gender-based violence, helping the rural community people. And there I begin to, you know, see that this is what has been in me to, you know, to speak out, to be a voice to those that doesn't have that voice, to be able to speak up for some people you know, reach out to people that will help to, you know, alleviate whatever problem these people in the rural community are going through. And that is how I engaged myself in volunteering with that organization, working in the rural community, you know. Then I was working at their, um, as their, you know, HIV focal person, where I engaged young people, educate them on how to know their status and the importance of knowing their status and all that. And that is where I started. Nearly after serving my fatherland for one year, I came back and um, I, I knew this is, this is where I need to be. I, you know, I could, that voice in me couldn't, couldn't resist, you know, you, know, uh, you know, I don't know if I told you I read chemical engineering just to see that it's wow. not related to what I am actually doing. Mm-hmm. But that passion in me really, really pushed me further into going to NGO work where I can be that voice that I really wanted to be. And um, I can tell you that over the years, I've, I've used my voice to you know, make a lot of change, create a lot of impact. And um, I'm really very happy about it. I'm very happy doing that. I'm always glad, you know, seeing that I can put a smile on someone's face. I can make a difference with my voice, just my voice and the interventions that we provide for them, you know. And that has really, really helped me. And as a young girl growing up, I knew that um, in my family, nobody taught you anything. Nobody told you anything on how to manage yourself that can you know, achieve her dream, okay? Everything, you just figure it out yourself. And I said, I knew if, I don't know if it wasn't just God, <laughs> I knew I would have made a lot of mistakes. And for me to prevent that happening to other young girls who I know make a lot of mistakes in life, you know, I need to be there for them, okay? Train them, provide them that rightful information, which I knew I didn't get at, 
a young age. And that is most times I provide them generally information about their sexual reproductive health, right? I provide them information on how to have a self-esteem. There's this project I ran in, in major, many secondary schools in the rural community where I engage 30 girls every month to you know, help them improve their self-esteem and self-confidence by using this book that we call Female and More. I don't know if you can say it. Yeah, it's a booklet I use in training these girls every month on how to have self-confidence. We have stories, 30 stories of inspiring women who have achieved more in their communities. Okay, we read their stories, their challenges, what are the challenges they went through and still they become who they've wanted to be. And these are, you know, stories that can empower these girls to become, you know, who they want to be, despite the barriers, despite the challenges in their community. So these are the things that put me into, you know, going into NGO, NGO work and, um, you know, making a change in the lives of women and girls and young people. Yeah. Oh, you've been certainly very, very active. And I, I really, really value when someone says, you know, to be the voice for somebody who may not have that voice. And certainly you're very active in that way, knowing that you, you've been gifted with this opportunity. You see things, you've observed things, and you're able to say to yourself, how can I make a difference? What can we do that can be different? And when you, when you are that voice, I think we all have an obligation to speak up on behalf of things that are not okay uh, and to support the things that we would like to see happen, whether that be helping an individual or helping a community or helping across the global village. Whichever way we do it, it's important. I think we all have that obligation. And, you know, you've certainly been really active and you're involved in regular programs and you mentioned about the uh, drug and HIV training as well to help encourage young people to make wiser choices and and also that education about what happens when you use drugs and you know what can happen what those what those um, illnesses can be like when you have them and you know there's so much that you've been actively involved and you started with your education as a, as a chemical engineer have you gone on to explore other education or did you just know that something inside of you said you had a voice and you could use it to do good? Yeah, um, currently I am uh, okay. I'm already starting a program on public health, which also will help me to, you know, be much more um, uh, good in part of um, uh, what is related to what I am doing currently. Okay, so... That is just um, another side of um, another degree that I'm, I'm, I'm really on it now. Okay. Yeah. So this, uh, apart from my chemical engineering background, which is my first degree, I'm also um, you know, studying public health mm -hmm. in one of the yeah, universities here in Nigeria as well. And also I've gone through many online training over the years. I had one. last from the Sandwell University. Can I go on? Yes, yes. There's a couple of technical glitches happening. I'm, I'm just allowing it to happen this time to see just how disruptive it is, but it keeps coming back, which is good. Okay, okay. Uh, so I, I've also had um, 
numerous online trainings um, where um, I also expand my knowledge on the area of, of work I do. Mm -hmm. Lastly, the last one I just did was from Stanford University where I got um, my certificate on human rights um, and the issues that concern women and girls. So I numerous of them that I've, I've done over the years and um, um, hopefully by, before the, the, the year runs out, I should be rounding off by God's grace. Yeah, wow, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, that's quite amazing. So you've been doing a lot of activist type work as in raising the awareness of education and being a voice for people that in one way they need somebody to speak on their behalf, but also being that person who brings the education and opens up channels of communication between parties that may not necessarily sit down at the table to chat. And you've been so active in that. What are your perhaps longer term plans? I know that COVID has, or, or coronavirus has presented enormous challenges in certain areas around the world. With regards to that, obviously that's something that must be impacting what you're doing. Is there anything that um, you've been active in, in, in making things a little easier for people in your community? Okay, um, we know that um, most of the achievements we have over the years, we know that um, COVID-19 kind of um, drew us back and um, issues of gender-based violence, I know is on the increase even during the coronavirus issue. So um, we, 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 but we, we, we are not relented in doing what we are supposed to do or what we think is best for you know, women and girls. We have different um, uh, uh, areas. We are also reaching out to those who are still in lockdown or those who are still restricted from movement. Like we have our hotlines where we, we, they reach out to us and we bring the services down to them. Mm -hmm. And we engage with different um, primary health care service providers in the community in the area of female genital mutilation because we know these um, health workers, you know, have firsthand uh, contact with mothers who give birth to, you know, young female children. So we have a database for, you know, some female, uh, some primary healthcare workers who we engage monthly so that if we have any um, reports on someone who is trying to mutilate or who is, you know, deliberating to mutilate any young baby and we bring our intervention down to those people. So it's also part of our plan to see that um, we keep our pace going. Mm -hmm. And a future plan we also have is to see um, to ensure that uh, we have a world where um, women and girls are free from any form of violence, mm -hmm. any form, be it physical, be it um, uh, uh, um, economic, or any kind of violence. Mm -hmm. we, we are working to see that we see a world where that happens. Mm -hmm. And also where young girls are empowered to be able to fulfill their potentials in life without barriers, without things that will you know, stop them or be a barrier from them to achieving that. And also for young people, also see how we provide, you know, adequate information in, uh, you know, relating to issue of drug and substance mm -hmm. abuse. Even right now in Nigeria, we've seen that there is a rise in young people engaging in various types of um, drug use. Mm -hmm. And um, it's over the internet and it's a very worrisome uh, thing that we are seeing. Even younger children, you know, are being exposed to this drug. Mm -hmm. So we, we also, you know, 
engaging schools, you're engaging parents. Now, what we are trying to do is prevention. Over the year, like I told you, United Nations Office on Drug and Crime, what they do is to fund us to provide a community-based treatment facility where we treat these young people you know, who are addicted to any form of any kind of drug or substance. But we've seen that from over, um, we've seen the data is a very staggering number mm -hmm. and we can keep bringing them into treatment, bringing them into treatment. We devise what is the you know, next step to ensure that those who are even coming into treatment, we delay them from initiating any type of drug or we delay them from using any type of drug. And that is when they brought the, um, you know, the intervention of prevention. And that prevention is for us to provide the information about uh, drugs to young people, parents, schools, um, different stakeholders to provide this accurate information because we'll find out that there's a lot of myths you know, and wrong information about drugs. Mm. And we know the, our environment here in Nigeria, alcohol is not a problem. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a culture, it's part of our culture. And these young people start early, started to use alcohol and which we know it's not, um, it's not appropriate for them as young people who are growing up. So we try to engage even the traditional rulers, the religious leaders, the healthcare workers, um, the young people, parents, CSOs, and different stakeholders. We train them on, you know, drug and substance abuse prevention, treatment and care. Provide them with adequate and correct knowledge so that they will be able to, you know, step this down to the to their community or to their children. So it's no longer a, 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 a time where parents will say, I, I don't know what is cannabis. I don't even know how it looks like. I don't know what are the effects of cannabis. So we provide this information to them so that you also be able to educate your children mm -hmm. because we know that peer pressure is one of uh, the reasons yeah. children, young people engage in drug use. Yeah, so, and when that is uh, you know, handled from the family, because we see that family is very critical in delaying the use of drugs. Mm -hmm. So we also bring that as an intervention to also you know, reduce the number of people who also come into treatment mm -hmm. to prevent them also from using drugs. Yeah. Wow, that's and that's a very comprehensive approach too by engaging the, the parents and helping to educate them so that they understand, you know, the the impact of using any yeah. sort of drug, whether it be alcohol or some other substance. But also, as you mentioned, peer pressure is obviously one of the biggest influences upon a child or a young person because they see their friends or other popular people doing what they mm. would like to do because it looks like fun or it looks like that's how you get to be popular. And yes. it's also escapism. So it's, you know, it's a way to not have to deal with life when life is challenging. So it's, it's important, as you say, you're addressing it on many levels, which is really important. Now, with so much that you do and so many different projects and so many programs that you are actively involved in, is there a point of contact? If anyone was watching our video uh, later on and was watching and listening to this interview if they wanted to reach out to you or to contact you is there a way that they could contact you beyond just finding you on LinkedIn are there websites or are there other ways that they could reach out okay um beside my social media handles Evelyn Choma Joseph I think I have all my details in my social media handles I will have my contact phone number I have my email address 
but also for my Nigerian number, I have 070-1075-10 and also my email address evelynjosephp at gmail.com. Then my organizational website will have www.sirpnigeria.org. Mm -hmm. That is our website. Yeah. Yes. Fantastic. So there's a, yes. Yeah. So All my social media handles are open for you know, messaging. Awesome. Awesome. So you do have social media uh, handles as well. And what, what I'll ask that, uh, that we will do after our interviews uh, come to an end is uh, you'll supply me with those details anyway. And I'll have all of that information below the description of the video on YouTube and also for the description of the podcast channel. So if anyone is interested to know more about what Evelyn is doing, would like to support or would like to ask her how she's managed to achieve so many amazing programs and implemented so many uh, projects that have been really helpful and beneficial, um, certainly reach out, have that conversation. If there's a way that we can all, by being connected, make a difference, then certainly let's inspire each other, let's work together, let's, let's help share the messages because it's important that we all we all are that voice. We all are that person that can make a difference. And it's one of the things that I think is an important theme to follow. Just, I think COVID has shown us this, but I think it's really important to reinforce one person individually can make a difference across the world. And I'm so thankful that in doing these interviews, I get to speak with some amazing people like you, Evelyn, who are making a difference either within your community or having a big ripple effect because others are hearing about what you're doing and are able to either engage with you and ask, how can I do it in where I am? Or ask you to perhaps come and be a guest speaker somewhere or be on a panel somewhere, as, as I've noticed you've been quite active in doing. So please, anyone who does watch this particular video or if you're listening via the podcast, by all means, reach out to Evelyn if there's something that you would like to find out more about in the projects and programs she's involved in. Or if there's a way that you would like to perhaps find out, is there a way you can do something similar in your community? Maybe Evelyn could put you in the right direction and speak with you about different ways to help make change. Uh, but otherwise, let's be inspired. Let's consider if Evelyn is someone with all of the different challenges that are going on in Nigeria and she's able to have such an amazing impact, it's inspirational. It means that it's possible and it just means take that step. If you've got a little stirring of curiosity or a little feeling of maybe I could do something to make a difference, Evelyn's just giving you plenty of opportunities to see within yourself, what can I do? Where are the ways that I can help? Reach out, find out, ask, and get passionate about something that means we're making a difference because we all need it. Everybody needs to have a, a voice. Someone needs to speak up on behalf of someone else who just can't do that. And that's what we're here for. So, Evelyn, it's been lovely. I'm so glad we finally had this opportunity to chat. It's been yeah. so lovely to hear more just personally with talking with you, what it is that you do, who you're doing it for and the difference that you're making and why it is that you do it. It's such an inspirational story. And I just want to say thank you for taking the time today for sharing your story you. with The Voice on Fire. Thank you so much, Terry. I appreciate and I'm so glad I am able to speak and also uh, tell the world what we do and the impact that we are creating to better the lives of women and girls and young people in Nigeria. 
and not just in Nigeria, in the world at large. And also um, to also finally also tell you that um, we know that um, May, next month is a special month, 28 is a special month for young girls or, you know, which we celebrate uh, Menstrual Hygiene Day. So okay. we're also, I'm also launching a campaign where I want to reach 1,000 girls in rural community and supplying them with the menstrual kit. Mm -hmm. which um, in a park will have um, reusable parks. We have tissues, we have towels, we have um, uh, soaps, we have different feminine products, you know, in a kit to supply to 1,000 girls in rural communities. Wow. It's a campaign I am launching uh, from next week to raise funds to be able to reach out to these young girls in the community. Mm -hmm. And also to interest you that over the years, We've reached more than 10,000 girls with reusable wow. sanitary pads and training, and we are wow. still counting. Yeah, that is amazing. That is so worth celebrating. Those, that's 10,000 girls who whose lives have been changed, and that's amazing. That is really amazing. And I also applaud the the, the packs you're putting together to reach a thousand girls, and that's that's just one campaign. So again, it just goes to highlight. You set a, a target, set a goal and see what you can do. Reach out and, again, if you think you can help Evelyn in her pursuit to make this goal happen across May, be in touch um, and, and just be inspired because we all can make a difference. It just really does come down to the mindset of when you know you have an opportunity and that you perhaps have more resources or perhaps you've been maybe gifted with some special talent you know, speaking up, being able to be educated, whatever that is, put it to good use, put it to good use to speak up on behalf of somebody and be that voice for them. And, and let's make a difference. I think it's really important. And thank you, Evelyn. And, and certainly I hope everyone does help out as much as possible to make that goal come true for your organisation and your project. Thank you. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so thank much. You. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure, Evelyn.